0: I I was bitter, I think, at the situation, and more specifically, at the perpetrator. Um, And it wasn't until Bible school, when I was praying in chapel one night, that the Lord really called me out on my bitterness. I really felt like, you know, I had a license to hate, I guess, you know, there's this um, stronghold you get in your mind and you're not even aware of something that's so blatant and out of bounds with God, like unforgiveness or bitterness. But I'll never forget this thought just being impressed in my mind. Aaron, what are you gonna do with all of your unforgiveness when you preach about mercy? Because I was in the process of answering the call of God in my life. For the first time I realized that uh, this unforgiveness in my heart wasn't right. And of course, um, it was a groundbreaking moment and I prayed uh, very sincerely. um, and For the very first time, prayed a prayer of forgiveness, but I have to tell you that forgiveness is not as simple as a prayer.
1: Hey guys, this is Brian and I'm Tony and you're listening to the crucial conversation podcast. I'm trying to uh, think back um, to the year, but I, I can't think of what it'd be. Uh, I'm, I'm going back, and I'm thinking it's got to have been 12 or so years ago that our guest was a speaker at Arkansas Junior Camp. And it's been so long. There's not a lot I remember, but there's one thing I particularly remember. Is this what we talked about? It, it's a It's a rhyme. Uh, renegade getting gung ho about Jesus. <laughs> and I I remember Brother Soto years ago. He came and he was leading on some services with different rhymes. And then he came back to Senior Camp years later. I think it was like in 2011, something like that. And I can't remember if someone in the crowd started singing it out to him or something. Uh, but at Senior Camp, we made him bring it back. And uh, it is my honor brother soto to have you as Absolutely. a guest and to be here in your growing and thriving church we just now got done going on a tour of this beautiful campus but what's so exciting is he pulled his phone out and he showed us where you're headed and and I'm, I'm thankful for where god has taken apostolic truth church here in appleton wisconsin
0: thank you it's a great honor to be here and it's Grinnigan gang Okay. Get gum gang. Gang. about gum. No,
1: it's grin. He said it's, it's, it's with the G. Grin. Grin again. Gotcha. Gang.
2: Well, Pastor Soto, uh, we know you're a very busy man. Um, it's an honor for Brian and I to sit down with you, a very well-sought-after man in the UPCI. We don't take it lightly. Um, let's jump in, you guys. Ready? Let's do it. We have a so. very exciting, deep episode for people. Um, this is an episode that... Uh, We've not covered yet, and I'm very excited to get to um, Pastor Soto. I just I want to ask you about a sermon that you you had preached. I believe it was in 2016, uh, if I'm correct. But on YouTube, if you'll if you'll search Aaron Soto, the first video that comes up is a uh, sermon entitled "The Spirit of Fear." Um, where does something like that come from?
0: That came from a series that I preached uh, entitled. Um Boy, that's got to come to me here. I can't remember the name of the series.
2: It, uh, I, it was, I can, we talked about it on the way over here. It was, um, hold on, I'll bring it up. I, I was watching the series. Weapons uh, of Mass we, Destruction. Weapons of Mass Destruction, yes. You have, I think it's six, six different sermons on that, correct?
0: Yeah, Weapons of yeah. Mass Destruction.
1: Yes. It's probably. Easy to forget some of the titles. I'm sure you've preached quite a few series. (laughs) You've been pastoring here for, you said 14 years?
0: Yes, and that was probably 2011 or 2012 that I preached that. Um, So, what motivated that was I just feel like um, a lot of times we are ignorant of the devil's devices, of the enemy's devices, and we're commanded to not be. And so, I wanted to take um, some of the plays from the enemy's playbook and kind of highlight some of the enemy's tactics. And so what happened was, um, I came upon that that was one of the very first things that I, I felt to preach about was was fear. Because um, certainly this is what the enemy um, uses against us. In fact, uh, more recently, I've preached about uh, the fear languages, we have love languages, we, we read about that, you know, the book, the five love languages. Uh, but there are fear languages. And uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear. This is not a, a language that we were born with. It's a language we picked up along the way. Yeah. And so fear is a very disfiguring, disabling um, aspect of, of life. And it is a very uh, powerful tool that the enemy uses against us. And so um, this, the, this, the message regarding fear uh, was something that I just wanted to, to call the enemy out on and, and pull that play out of his playbook and preach about it and uh, remind our church that perfect love casts out all fear. But that kind of preaching just comes from a desire to uh, give people enough information to make right choices.
2: because yeah, I'm sure you didn't wake up and say, oh, it's great, beautiful Sunday morning. I'm going to preach about fear. And how does, your, how does your audience react to something like that? Because I know a, a sermon uh, that has to do with fear has to come with a heavy burden, does it not?
0: You know, it does. And... Um, I'm excited every time I come to the pulpit, because it's God's Word. It's not going to return void. And I feel like God's put something in my spirit that's going to help to to break someone out of something or champion a direction in someone's life. Um, to answer your question, also, I, I really feel like a congregation appreciates a message with a clear direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just ought to preaching but it's how-to preaching. So there is a spirit of fear, but how do we overcome that spirit of fear? And so um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to a congregation to preach with substance.
2: So about that sermon, can you debunk the myth that everything has to be okay when you're apostolic?
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, certainly when we read our Bible, uh, we read about Paul who was kind of summarizing his life at a given time and he said, I'm perplexed, but not in despair. You know, um, I'm, I'm persecuted, I'm, I'm forsaken, but he said, I'm not cast down, I'm not destroyed. And so when we look at the, the life of the first century church believers and the apostles, we know that they had um, tremendous adversity and challenges, uh, but they their joy was real. And, and so absolutely, uh, Jesus promised us in this world, you will, will have tribulations. You shall have tribulations. And so uh, that's a promise that uh, we, we have a tendency to want to ignore. But absolutely, um, coming to Jesus isn't like playing that country music backwards where you get your truck yeah. back, your dog back, and your girlfriend back. There are, there are unique challenges. Uh, mm. You're living a life that is countercultural. It's a life that's in contrast to the world as we know it. And uh, not everybody is drawn to our light. Our light hurts some people's eyes.
1: So, what, what in that message or even messages you've preached uh, since then about that? Whenever you cover the topic of the spirit of fear, um, how do you lead people out of being um, afflicted with that spirit in their life? And and, and even what have the, been some of the effects of an individual that? First of all. How do you even identify whether or not you have the spirit of fear? Is it something where you're just constantly afraid of things? Is it something in particular you're afraid of? Or uh, how does that even manifest itself?
0: <laughs> well, first of all, uh, fear can be a healthy thing. You know, uh, the, the, if there's danger and you run from that danger, that was probably a healthy thing. But what we're talking about is the spirit of fear. There is a spiritual attack and stronghold that comes from the enemy that will attack our mind. And we have the spirit of fear when we are using our imagination in the worst possible way. We are imagining the worst. We are magnifying the devil and not God. We are magnifying our problems and not God. And as a result, um, we're paralyzed. Uh, We we don't have a faith outlook. Um, Our trust in God has been eroded. Uh, The spirit of fear is often manifested with anxiety and worry. And Jesus commanded us not to worry. And so uh, it's going to manifest in in many different ways. Uh, The spirit of fear can be manifested uh, by a person being a perfectionist because they are afraid Hmm. of failure. Hmm. That is a, a perfectionist is a manifestation of fear. Uh, a person who um, doesn't want to swing the bat, never try anything. They only want to do what's familiar. And, and here's this person who's who went to college, and and uh, they're they're uniquely equipped to do great things, but they 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 stay in this mediocre job that they're comfortable with because they don't. They're afraid, afraid of failure. There's a fear of failure. Uh, there are fear. There's fears of rejection. There are all kinds of, of fear languages that the enemy will speak into our lives, and so uh, it. It's a it's a it's a spirit that manifests itself in many many different ways. But at the end of the day, the spirit of fear is going to be revealed by the fact that we have more faith in a negative outcome than we have faith in God bringing a positive outcome to a situation in our life.
2: Pastor, I wanted to start with that sermon um, not only because it was um, listened throughout Apostolic Online, uh, but. You, you have a story um, of your childhood, and we did get your permission, off record, to talk about this a little bit. Sure. Um, and I really feel like you, in only a way you can do, can benefit somebody. Can you talk about your personal journey with fear?
0: Yes, you're talking about an episode of a, a sexual abuse correct? in my childhood. Um, first of all, raised in a beautiful apostolic family. My parents are loving, intentional. Um, and would certainly protect me in any way that they possibly could. Um, but in this case, uh, there was someone who was um, kind of a extended, from, extended part of our family that it was in a time of duress in their life and uh, needed to live in our home for a while. And of course, who would imagine that someone uh, who's a part of our family uh, would bring harm you know, to a child? But that's, that's, that's where that abuse came from. Came, How old were you at the time? I believe I was uh, six, six years old, and uh, it was it was something that uh, w- was subtle at first, and then and the more blatant as time went on. And you know the typical thing where uh, you're a child, and so you don't know how to contextualize that. You don't know what you're supposed to do with that, and uh, you certainly don't feel at liberty to share any of that uh, with anyone. And so. That happened, and then I just kind of carried that in my heart uh, for quite a long time. And uh, I would say that you know it's it's a sad thing when there's a young mind that is overexposed and underdeveloped. It uh, it's it's disfiguring uh, to a life and to a mind. And uh, there was uh, some anger that was bottled up within me. Um, I wouldn't say I was an angry child at all. I, I, I loved God, I loved my church, but there was certainly a part of me that was carrying a tremendous amount of anger and I think some, quite a bit of pain. And um, I, I was bitter, I think, at the situation and more specifically at the perpetrator. Um, and it wasn't until Bible school when I was praying in chapel one night that the Lord really called me out on my bitterness. I really felt like, you know, I had a license to hate. I guess, you know, there's this um, stronghold you get in your mind and you're not even aware of something that's so blatant and out of bounds with God, like unforgiveness or bitterness. But I'll never forget this thought just being impressed in my mind, Aaron, what are you gonna do with all of your unforgiveness when you preach about mercy? Because I was in the process of answering a call of God in my life. For the first time I realized that uh, this unforgiveness in my heart wasn't right. And of course um, it was a groundbreaking moment and I prayed uh, very sincerely um, and for the very first time prayed a prayer of forgiveness. But I have to tell you that forgiveness is not as simple as a prayer. It is definitely a journey. Uh, You make the decision to forgive, but you have to manage that decision very carefully for quite a long time before it begins to lose its grip uh, in your life and in your spirit. Um, Today, I would tell you that I'm not a victim. I'm certainly a victor. I've been so tremendously blessed uh, to have God's total healing in my life. In fact, a few years ago, I went to a family reunion and uh, this person that I had not seen, oh, you know, since I was a child was there. And um, <clears throat> when, when that person saw me, uh, they were immediately very uncomfortable. And when I saw them, the first thing that I felt when I saw that person was compassion. And that's when I knew that I was totally whole. Uh, This was a person that I'd been praying for for a very long time. Mm. And uh, I went out of my way to have a conversation and uh, to just show the love of Jesus Christ. I never spoke specifically to the situation, but I I said enough to let that person know that um, I was doing great and that I love Jesus and I love them too. And uh, I know that they uh, got the message. And so it was a a powerful journey and God has certainly used that episode in my life to help other people.
2: So what would you tell the person that was in your shoes when mm-hmm. you were at six that's now uh, in their, let's say, hypothetical 20s right now, that never did get that call to preach, that never had that confrontation uh, from God saying, hey, what are you gonna do You know, when you start preaching here? Uh, what, what would you tell that person that's still holding that bitterness in their heart from a sexual abuse standpoint? What would you tell them?
0: Well, I would just remind them that there's not one person who is ever happier being a hater. Mm -hmm. And um, when you refuse God's order of forgiveness, you're only victimizing yourself more. And you're you're prolonging the hurt and compounding the hurt to your own life. And um, uh, I I think there are a lot of people who just misunderstand what forgiveness is. Um, and they just don't feel like they have it in them to just you know, forgive someone in a moment. And, and really forgiveness isn't about a moment, it's about a journey. It is certainly a decision. You have to make that decision. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a journey. And um, if they happen to be a believer, um, I would remind them of the cross of Calvary. That's the thing that really kept me in the right place in my journey of forgiveness was remembering um, Jesus' sacrifice for me and my sin. And if if I refuse to forgive someone, I obviously don't see myself realistically. Um, I don't see myself as someone whose sin um, is what put Jesus on the cross. There's a lot of different ways that you can go when you're talking about forgiveness, but I think the Bible is the, probably the strongest um, response. And, and we know that, Forgiveness in our life, it's the, it's the only area where God mirrors us. If, if, if we will forgive, we know that God's forgiveness is for us. If we refuse to forgive, it's a slap in the face of God's mercy to us. And we are forfeiting um, the, the forgiveness of God. And so why would I do that? Why would I um, further my hurt and my pain? by uh, dismissing the grace of God and the forgiveness of God in my life.
1: So it's totally possible to forgive somebody that hasn't asked for forgiveness?
0: Absolutely. It is totally possible to forgive someone who has not asked for forgiveness. You are managing your heart. Uh, You are taking inventory of your spirit and your life, and you are choosing to release them for uh, the debt that they've incurred um, through through their transgression or perpetrating against you, you're making that conscious choice to forgive them of that emotional debt they've incurred.
2: So sticking with forgiveness, how do you forgive somebody you don't want to forgive, but you know you have to? Because I know deep down inside, even though God God told you, um, "Hey, Aaron, it's it's time um, to forgive," I know you still had to struggle with. It, it goes against
0: our human nature. Yeah, it, it
2: goes a perfect analogy, Brian.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, There were times when that familiar spirit of unforgiveness would knock on my heart's door. I I was familiar with that spirit. And I had to manage that decision in my own heart and say, I'm not letting you in. I'm not going back to these thoughts. Um, I made a decision to forgive, and I'm going to manage that decision. And you know what? We don't get a free pass just because some things are hard. Yeah. And the Bible calls us to do some things that are hard, but ultimately it's for our good. And so when you feel like, you know, I don't, I just don't like that person. I don't like what they did to me. I'm still, I still feel anger and agitation. Um, and and you don't feel like it, you still radically submit yourself to the command of the Word of God. And I would just be honest with God and say, God, I, I'm really struggling with the idea but I have a heart to obey your word. So Lord, help me, help me to just, to begin with the desire. I'm longing for the longing to forgive. Mm-hmm. I desire the desire to forgive. And I believe that God, if we'll be that honest and sincere and raw with God, that uh, he'll lead us from that vantage point.
2: Pastor Soda, I wanna, sorry, Brian, I want to uh, open up here for a second. Uh, I wanna tell you guys something that only my wife knows. and. Now, I guess the whole world's about to know, but a lot like you, um, whenever I was a child, I encountered something that wasn't sexual abuse by no form of the imagination, but I encountered something that I didn't know how to comprehend. And uh, it was from a family member. And I felt like I couldn't ever um, share it with anybody because A, that person that was doing it to me was highly regarded in, in, um, uh, church, I guess would be the best way to say they, they had a title. Um, it was a family member. Um, and I felt like I couldn't do that to my family. How did you cope with that? Did you tell anybody? Um, did you go to your parents? How did, how did, how did from six years old till 18, 19 work?
0: Well, I, I kept it inside. Um, I didn't really share it with my parents until um, after, after that episode. But um, it, was, it was definitely a, a journey of solitude. Um, and then I, I had this realization that God wanted to redeem my wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wholeness that was in my life was so remarkable to me that I began to feel a desire to share that with other people. Um, certainly, we know that there's a tremendous amount of abuse in our world, and as this, the story that you alluded to, there are just all kinds of things that happen to us in our childhood that can uh, shape us in the wrong way. And so uh, it's, it's important that once God begins to work in our life that we begin to share our testimony. It's not something to run from, You know, the worst thing that ever happened in your life can be your greatest ministry. Yeah, And there are people who are actually saved and love Jesus, but they have unredeemed wounds.
2: Well, I can be 100% honest with you here. And uh, it's kind of hard for me to talk about this. I'm just going to be honest with you. But for me, I didn't do that. I buried it. And I felt like the longer that I've lived, the more I am realizing it's a part of my past where I never did share, I I, I, I guess I did share it with my wife, and, uh, you know, she couldn't believe it, honestly, and, um, because she knows that person, but um, I never did make it, make that test a testimony, Um, but there's benefits to doing that, because we'll do a, a conversation, and it might not be for, you know, the ones that, we're close to, but we'll get a text message from people saying, you know, that's exactly what I needed. And that's really what benefits us by doing
1: this. You never know. Yeah. You never, know. you never know what, the, what story is going to affect people. Uh, and, and just everybody has such a unique perspective on so many different topics. Like when we talk about the, the topics of, of people being hurt and, and, and the importance of us forgiving them, I want to ask a, a question from the other perspective. If you have done someone wrong, would you pastorally advise someone to go and make it right and or go in and ask for forgiveness uh, if that person is carrying a lot of—like they, they know they let themselves down and with some action they did to someone, and and this doesn't have to be anything as severe as the topic we've been talking about of abuse, of if someone just didn't treat someone right or somebody knows they did someone wrong in the church and they carry a lot of guilt with it and kind of hope that person has moved on and forgiven them, but they just don't have the boldness to go and say, hey, will you forgive me? Because they're either afraid of the reaction or what would you recommend someone do? I would
0: definitely recommend uh, making it right and going to them Um, and going and knowing that there could be a negative response. And at that point, um, even if the reaction is negative, um, knowing that they did what they were supposed to do mm-hmm. to make it right. But let's always be careful when uh, it's our turn to ask for forgiveness or we mismanage some episode in our life to remember that there's not one scripture in the Bible that commands us to forgive ourselves. Jesus never talked about it. Um Not one place in the Bible references it, but we have a tendency to want to talk about this a lot. Uh, So maybe there's somebody out there listening to us, and you were a perpetrator. You did something, and and you look back, and you're asking yourself, what was I thinking? And you're carrying a tremendous amount of shame, and you've convinced yourself that you have to forgive yourself. It's not biblical. It is a post-modern idea. And uh, why does our world talk about it so much? That's what you do when you don't have a savior. So you can live with yourself. But when Jesus forgives you, tell me what next step do you need to take? That's all you need yes. is to be forgiven and to know you're forgiven and celebrate it. And uh, the, there are a lot of Christians out there in this holding pattern. They're they are washed they are absolutely forgiven and loved perfectly by God, but they've convinced themselves there's a next step. They have overturned Judge Jesus's uh, verdict that they are innocent wow. through His blood, and and they're saying, "No, there's one more thing I have to do." And so, I would encourage people: um, the grace of God is all you need to celebrate. Mm. That's
1: unbelievable. I don't, <laughs> yeah, even, is. I don't even know where to go yeah. to next after that. That's that's a powerful you. concept to think about yes. the, the the power of God's grace. Yes, because that's something I've been thinking a lot about. I haven't thought about it in those terms, but but it just blows my mind to think that I don't even I can't forgive myself and be saved. What more could I want to do?
0: Because when Christ has saved us, what more is there? Exactly. But pop culture is telling you and Dr. Phil will tell you and he did say this that forgiving yourself you are the key to unlocking your future through by forgiving yourself. But when was I ever the key to my unlocking my future? I've been a barrier to my future. Yeah. But I bad. was never the key. <laughs> Jesus has always been the key to unlocking my future. So we don't look within ourselves for wholeness we go to the cross and we remind ourselves we have to come against that spirit of condemnation that reminds us about our past. Um, and we just need to go and uh, declare, uh, I am washed. That's what I was, but I'm not anymore. I am washed. I'm sanctified.
2: God's grace really does amaze me. Um, but I want to ask you from the standpoint of, I guess the word would be the perpetrator. Um, that feels like, yes, God has forgiven me from this, um, but the actions keep being repeated? What do you just say is something like that? What would you tell that person that feels like this is my lifestyle, I'm having a hard time overcoming that? Um, because we all know that God's grace will cover that, but sometimes it's it's me and my mindset and my mentality. Right. How do you overcome mentality?
0: Well, I think that... Um <clears throat> when, when somebody finds themselves repeating a behavior that they know is harmful to themselves and other people in spite of the negative consequences they keep doing it, that would be defined as maybe an addiction in their life. They might have an addiction to pornography. They might have an addiction uh, to food or whatever it is, that thing that, they, that
2: the hurt, silent killer. hurtful
0: and harmful yeah. behavior. And um, What that requires is radical submission to the Word of God. The Word of God works. And so when somebody has an addiction in their life, um, they have not radically submitted them, themselves to the power and the, of the word and the, and the work of the spirit. And I'm not trivializing anyone's addiction. I know it is horrible and I I've, I've, have worked with people with addiction in their life. Um, but at the end of the day, there are a few things that we can do that doesn't require a miracle for deliverance that, that sets us on a path of deliverance. What is it that we could do that doesn't require a miracle that would bring about a deliverance in our life? How about uh, radical prayer on a consistent basis, an everyday basis? Submitting to God. How about um, submitting to the word of God? What about the thing that doesn't require a miracle like um, accountability? And there are powerful measures that we can take that the scripture prescribes for us that sets us on a journey and a path um, to deliverance. So there's a, wherever there's a failure, an ongoing failure in a life, um, there's, there's a failure in relationship to God first that, that precedes that. So uh, I, I do believe that there's, a, there's a, a hope and a remedy for people who find themselves um, cycling.
2: So I wanna, before we transition here, um I want to kind of transition this way actually. Um Brian did tell everybody our listeners that before we sat down you took us on a tour of your campus and I fell in love with your mission statement. Um I forget how you worded it. It's not just a mission statement, it's something I forget how you worded it.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a motto, it's a mission. Yeah, it's
2: not a motto, it's yeah. a mission. And um that gives so much hope and empowerment to those hurting people that do come through that back door because you can't get very far in your church without seeing your mission. True. If, if you sit down in a pew in your church and you open your eyes, you know what the purpose of this church is. And I want you to share with our listeners um, what that is and where that came from and how that's really radicalized your church.
1: And it's so in him. He walked in the room and said, hey guys, shook our hands and said, follow me. And took us out in the hallway, and the first thing he said to us was this statement. And I, I'm glad you bring it up because Tony and I, off what well, you guys can't see, obviously, uh, we were fighting Great on, on who we <laughs> were fighting
0: on who gets to ask the next question, and I was going to transition to this as well. Well, our our mission at Apostolic Truth Church is uh, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in Jesus Christ, and to show the love of Jesus Christ.
2: So what I love is when you sit down in your pew. And Pastor Soto is preaching or the praise teams up and they're leading you, us into worship. You look up and you see know, show, and grow. So how, right. is that, how has that developed your church?
0: Well, um, it, it has guided every decision that we've made um, to um, how we approach our services. Sunday morning is a no Jesus service. And uh, we had to face the fact that our work, children's ministry experience was not a know Jesus experience. It was more of a grow experience, it was more of a, a, a discipleship experience. We wanted Sunday morning to be uh, an evangelistic get to know Jesus service. So it, it created some good problems for us. So, long story short, we and today, uh, 10 years later, 11 years later, we have no grow show alignment in the way that we facilitate our services throughout a given week. We have a No Grow Show discipleship path. We have, if you go through our Firm Foundations classes, there's the No component, the Grow component, and the ministry training. We have No Grow Show alignment with our children's ministries. There's a No Grow Show discipleship journey with children and also with our teens. We have No Grow Show life groups. And so really, it, um, it threads deeply into the fabric of our church community. And that's why I'm saying it's, it's a mission. It's not a motto. And we still have um, new frontiers that we want to tackle, uh, some places where we feel our church needs to grow. Um, specifically, we want to have no-grow show families. We feel like we have a strong no-grow show church, multi-generational, powerful church, um, it's providing sophisticated responses for the complex needs of our world. But at the same time, we feel like we haven't properly equipped homes to be no-grow show homes. We want our homes to be an outpost of the ATC mission. Uh, we want homes in our community uh, showing the love of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the know and the grow experience. So uh, don't ask me how we're going to do that. I'm just telling you that's the next frontier that's for awesome. us
1: absolutely awesome help help me out with this um what is what does a grow service look like what does a show service look like what does a no service look like because you said that your children's uh, services were more of a grow service show will you explain to me what the differences are and why is it it that you have found in your context here that having Sunday as a come to know Jesus service, why that is more
0: effective than it would be if it was one of the others? Yes, good question. Well, um, we start with the process of um, the first step in becoming a disciple is to know Jesus. And so Sunday is that day for us. And um, our worship, um, we're a little bit more guest-centric in the first 15 minutes of our service. We're very aware of our guests, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, we, we are rightly relating to our guests in that service. When I'm preaching, certainly I have to rightly divide the word, and I have to put some word out there that's going to feed everyone. But there's always going to be a, uh, a part of that that's going to champion a direction to know Jesus Christ. It's going, to be, it's going to have an evangelistic aspect to it. A church cannot survive on evangelistic preaching, okay? Yes. And so there's a point where I have to transition away from some of that uh, evangelistic preaching and, and inspirational preaching, and I have to ground people. So through preaching, one person has said that souls are one, but through teaching, souls are established. And in um, our midweek service, which is our grow service, um, that's where we're we are covering you know uh, life topics and we are getting people rooted in the Word of God and we're placing those uh, foundational building blocks in their biblical worldview to help them to go forward and to help them live the life of a Christian. Also, uh, our midweek services where we have our foundations classes, our firm foundations classes. So, and and also for our teens and for our children they're having that experience as well. They are having a grow in Jesus experience. And then throughout the year, we have show uh, services. A show service is a- I think a, that
2: would be my favorite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it doesn't, it's not exactly what it sounds like, but it would be a service where um, we're gonna have a concert. We're gonna just draw, draw people, we're drawing guests. It's, it's a big opportunity for our members to bring guests into the service. And it's, it's, it's an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ awesome. to our community. And, of course, um, we, every, uh, every week we're showing the love of Jesus Christ by serving our community groceries and, and providing practical services to felt needs in our community.
2: Whenever uh, we were still talking before we started the recording process, uh, I asked you about your, your visitors in the church. Um, I want to throw a scenario at you here. Um, it's one of my favorite scenarios that our pastor uses quite often. Um, what would you do? Um, you have a guest come in the back door for the very first time that's very distraught. Um, and um, they sit down, they see your missions, you know, because th- that's everywhere. Um, and they come to your reception after church because you ask them to. And they they say, what do I need to know about this church? What's your response?
0: That we care about you, um, that we want to help you, that um, Jesus is the answer. Without Jesus in the equation, there's really nothing that we can do that's going to provide any meaningful change. So we're going to introduce you to Jesus Christ and uh, to encourage them to know that we're going to love them right where they're at, that we're going to start at the beginning with them. And, uh, And the next thing is, when can we meet with you? because it's one thing you know, to, to offer, to help. It's another thing to say, let's put this on the calendar and let's make this happen. Let's start this journey. So um, it, it just starts very simply with the love of Jesus, um, with, the, with the recognition of where they're at, showing you know, compassion, hearing them, allowing them to be heard, and then explaining to them that we're gonna begin this journey together. We're, we're excited about this transformational journey.
1: I, I, I like whenever we talked, you can tell you have a great respect for your guests, and, and I think it's so important to really talk about uh, how to interact with guests because you can very easily fall into two camp, camps in that you can be a very overbearing church that is shoving guest cards down people's throats, or a church that just kind of hopes they come back again how do you walk the fine line? I've
2: been a of, part of both of those churches, Brian.
1: Yeah, I've seen it happen. Um, how do you walk the fine line of being friendly and plug in, and being intentional of guest follow-up, but still respecting the guest boundaries? And as you were talked about, how there are some guests that come that don't really want to be the center of attention?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Brian. Um We know that there are two kinds of guests that walk into our church. There are guests who have relationship expectations, and uh, they would be disappointed if they left our church without making a meaningful connection. And then there's another couple or or individual who might uh, want to have a very low profile church experience. They don't want to be targeted. They just want to check it out. And so uh, the way that we respond to the relationship expectation guest is we uh, offer a uh, a time of a reception as you described it and uh, to meet my wife and I and just to spend some time with our pastoral staff following the service. We have refreshments for them. We have a gift for them. Uh, we, we have a wonderful conversation with them and then we offer them uh, a next step conversation that week. And then we have that guest who doesn't want to be targeted at all. And the worst thing that could happen for them is for someone to stick a card in their face and ask them to fill it out All the personal information. Right. (laughs) And if they do fill it out, it's not their phone number and it's not their address, (laughs) you know. And so um, we have a way (laughs) of identifying guests in our congregation. And so uh, we will send First Impressions um, staff to them. They're not identified as First Impressions staff. They just look like an ordinary person. And that person will engage them in a conversation. And uh, we will, at the very least, get to know their name and we're aware of them and we respect that boundary with them. They didn't come to the reception, Uh, they didn't fill out a guest card in the hospitality suite, they didn't fill out a connect card in the service, but uh, we know they were there. And by respecting their boundaries, it's not uncommon for us to have someone finally come to the hospitality suite after a service and say, hey, this is my third or fourth time coming. Uh, My wife and I, we enjoyed the services and we finally decided that we wanted to meet you. And we feel like we're better served by respecting their boundaries yes. than to just try to come through the front picture window, you know, and, and make it all happen in one service for certain people.
2: So, Pastor Soto, uh, I don't know you on a close level. Uh, I know you a lot better now. Uh, but before I knew you from probably, I don't know, it was probably 2006, 2007 Illinois camp. Brian met you at a camp. But what we have learned about you is you're very intentional and you're... You're on purpose um, with everything you've got going on here. Um, You're well sought after in the UPC as a speaker. Like I said, we've camps, (laughs) conventions, meetings. Um, You you have to our our apostolic listeners. That's that's how they're going to connect with you. They've heard you preach somewhere. Um, How do you stay so connected and focused on such an awesome mission that you've got growing here? and having such a name recognition throughout our movement and organization, what do you do to stay plugged in?
0: Well, I'm gonna be honest with you and tell you that ATC is not a clinic. Uh, a clinic is a has a general practitioner and it deals with uh, superficial wounds. And, and we, we're a hospital. What I'm trying to say is we have specialists at ATC. And so it's not on me to stay on top of everything that's going on at Correct. ATC, yeah. we have a tremendous pastoral team, um, and we have specialists, and so we have a, a just a, a wonderful team of pastors that are uh, very informed, and so uh, that that is definitely something that helps me tremendously. I can stay in my lane, and I'm not. I don't have to stay on top of everything.
2: Well, what I mean is on a personal level, how do you stay connected in um, keeping your uh, motivation and not getting burned out by having your hand in everything going every which direction. What do you do to recharge? How do you, if a if a pastor from a neighboring church comes to you and says, Pastor Soda, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm just about there with on my wits end. I'm about to take that sabbatical. I need you to talk some sense into me. What do you What do you tell that person that's just right there on the edge?
0: Yes. Okay. Now I understand your yeah. question. <laughs> I think um to answer your question about how I stay connected, um, it's it's to not neglect my personal sanctuary. And- um, That'll preach right there. I, I uh, definitely at times feel pressure and I feel the pinch, you know, of responsibility and a productive life and uh, sometimes a heavy schedule. But I've learned something that He is the I am. And what I need He is if I will celebrate His presence. And so sometimes coming to God in prayer, um, I need to put my wish list away and my my requests and my questions, and I just need to celebrate his presence. And by celebrating God's presence and celebrating that he is my am, my I am, I find myself uh, th- more in the flow um, and, and uh, more tuned into the frequency of the spirit. Sometimes I, um, put more pressure on myself to, to try to find an answer from God about a difficult situation or struggle, uh, rather than just celebrating that whatever I need, he is. So I have to take some time for myself. Um, I have to take time to take care of this temple, uh, get some exercise, um, read, spend time with my family. Um, and by the way, let me just throw this little mind grenade out at you that I don't believe in balance. Um, that is a mind grenade. Yeah, I don't believe in balance. I, I think it's- Speak
2: on that, because that's if it's our listeners is like me, you're thinking, how do you not believe in balance?
0: Well, I believe in fairness. Um, and so if you talk to any pastor and their week is going to vary, one week to the next is going to be radically different based on needs that you're going to find. Uh, somebody passes away, there's a family crisis, we have a church revival. And so from week to week, um, you may be uh, not at home like you're supposed to be. Uh, You may not be studying like you're supposed to be from week to week because of the demands of a schedule. And so I don't think that every week's going to look like a perfectly sliced pizza pie where I finish every week and boy, I I mean, I I just owned it. I mean, my family got that time and I got everything in just the way it was supposed to be. I feel like um, what I have to do is I have to steer. I have to make decisions as I'm moving. And as if I have a week that really pulled me away from my family, well, the following week, I need to get it back. If there was a week where I wasn't able to go as deep as I really wanted to in my personal sanctuary with God because let's say that I was at a a conference. Let's say that um, I had to travel quite a bit that week. Uh, Let's say that my schedule was particularly full because of a series of uh, situations at the church. I know that the next week I need to get that back. And so that's what I mean by saying I don't believe in balance per se because the idea of this perfect balance where every week it's I'm impossible. Just, I get what you're saying right. now. Yeah. Uh, so now, uh, you know, when I look at something, I'm looking back and saying, am I being fair to my family? Am I being fair to my walk with God? Am I being fair to my ministry? And uh, with fairness takes the shame out of the game uh, because I can have a train wreck of a week and know I'm going to get this back. I'm going to swing the pend- pendulum back and I'm going to be fair to my family this coming week. Wow. That's the idea. Um, here in the church,
1: obviously you said you have a great staff uh, that gives you the opportunity um, to be able to, to have this full schedule and be able to touch to all these different things. Uh, when we talk about the church staff, I- I've heard you teach before uh, about the importance of servant leadership, and, and you talked uh, in a, a sermon or a, a lesson that I'd heard about how most organizational structures are structured in that CEO is at the top. And underneath him is his structure that begins to flow down. And you said that you like the opposite model, where CEO, in your context, would be pastor, is actually on the bottom and all the other departments are over. And, and you, as the senior pastor, are serving the staff here. And we saw the room where you serve people that, that uh, give of their time on Sundays. And giving back to them, that way they have refreshments in between your two services. Since here in, in Appleton, you do two services on a Sunday morning, duplicate services. Uh, speak to me uh, about the importance of serving the team. So that way you, don't, that way you have a, a church of volunteers
0: that enjoy doing what they do. Yes, I believe that Jesus calls us um, to be servants. You know, he said, I've not come to serve, uh, to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, he said, the greatest among you shall be the servant. Jesus was very clear that the direction a leader has to be willing to go to, uh, succeed is down. You descend into greatness as a leader, you descend to it that God was in Christ. That's not ascending. That's descending. He was laid in a manger and ultimately in a tomb. He descended into greatness to serve others. And so that servant leadership model is so critical that uh, when to, to lead means that you serve. If you look at our leadership flowchart here at ATC, I'm at the bottom of our flowchart because I view myself as having the distinct privilege to serve this entire church community. That's my privilege. I serve. I serve. And uh, like a good waiter or a waitress, they never let your Diet Coke run out, right? Well, Coke. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that, you know, the if I have that attitude towards our executive team and I don't let their Coke run out, I'm anticipating their needs and I'm serving them, and then they're in turn doing that with their department heads, hmm. and their te- the department heads are doing that with their teams, and their teams are doing that with the church community, and the church community is serving the loss that way. I think you have something successful, Absolutely. something strong there. And so uh, we, we definitely have a feeling to um, treasure our volunteers. And we feel that if you, will, um, if you will focus on volunteer culture and if you will focus on retaining volunteers, you won't have to focus on recruiting volunteers as much mm-hmm. by serving them. So we've got a a guest
1: with us here on this trip. We have our producer Brad for the first What's time up, setting in he <laughs> He oversees the media department in our church. so whenever it comes down to individual like groups right where he is over this department, what could he do as someone in in media how what does that look like for him? to be able to anticipate the needs of the people in his department to where that way they enjoy coming and videoing the service or doing sound and different aspects of media? That's
0: a great question. Well, first of all, um, the servant leadership culture. Servant leadership culture is so key um, for them to feel that you are there to serve them. Um, and, and you are growing them. You're anticipating what their needs are before they're even asking. So servant leadership culture, number one. Number two, a culture of excellence, having a culture of excellence. Um, and you give excellence to your training. You give excellence to uh, what you're calling them to do. We're not haphazard. We're, 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 we're asking for quality and excellence in, in um, the outcome of, of our service. And then finally, a, a Matthew 5, 6, and 7 culture, a Christian culture. Now, you might say, duh. It's
2: church. <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> we're Christians. You'd be surprised that there are ministries wow. in the church culture that are not Christian culture. Wow. And so when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, you learn that we're supposed to be gracious when we're upset, and we're supposed to be meek. And we are called to. Oof. To uh, have being poor in spirit and humility. And there's something that happens when you're a leader and you're a Matthew 5 leader. It's called endearment. See, there's a difference mm-hmm. between loyalty and endearment. Christians yeah. know what loyalty means, mm-hmm. right? We know how to be loyal. We can even be loyal to a leader in our church that we don't necessarily respect because we, re- we, we understand loyalty, we understand authority. But endearment happens when people on your team see you and you have an uncompromising commitment to a Christian character, no matter how disappointed or frustrated you are, and when they see that consistently, endearment happens. When people are loyal to you, they give you their hands to work, but when they are endeared to you, when there's endearment, they give you their heart, and that's the secret sauce to great teams.
1: Endearment. Has has this always been who you were, or is when you took on the, the role of pastor, you, you were like, I, I, I see these are the things I've been doing wrong,
0: and you've had to change you yourself. You wish you had known that. Well, I, I would say that every, every leader is on a journey. And, uh, Tony, you know, we could all look back and say, man, boy, I, I, sure, I mismanaged that part, and I wish I had that information. Um, but I would say that the servant leadership piece is something that uh, gripped my heart from a very early age. Um, the, the, the Christian culture thing was modeled by my parents. And so that helped me tremendously. Um, and then walking into, you know, certain situations and seeing that it was a culture that was somewhat dysfunctional, it helped to highlight the need, but I would answer and say, yes, um, there's certainly times where I I wish I could get a few redos in my life and I, I, I would hope that I've grown as a leader over the years and I've picked up some of this along the way and it's been a blessing
2: so was there any unfair criticism that came out of some maybe uh wrong decisions or wrong ways you've handled some things that you really had to have humility over
0: <laughs> absolutely that's a, ho- that's a tough tony question. tony it's going to happen man yeah if you're in leadership you're going to be misunderstood you're going to be- make some decisions that people don't necessarily agree with and sure. yes you're going to make some wrong decisions i think one of the successes uh, uh and and having longevity in ministry is being willing to live with being misunderstood. If you feel like everyone has to understand you, you're gonna be a very frustrated person because there are always a f- there's always a few who no matter what you do, no matter how sincere you are, are gonna misinterpret everything you do because they're looking at you through a lens of distrust. The distrust I think that's a life.
2: that's a tweetable quote, which I'm going to do right now while we're talking, be willing to be misunderstood. I want you to talk about that a little bit more in depth because um, I'll be 100% transparent here. And I've actually told this man in my life this, but whenever our pastor that's at our church now came here, uh, he could have gave me a million dollars and I thought he was still in the wrong because the prior pastor that was at our church he was somebody that i had looked up to and somebody that I, he's honestly one of the major reasons i moved from illinois to arkansas was because i i i could grow under his ministry i felt and uh, so obviously whenever that transition happened i was like very unhappy with everything you know so of course there's nobody that could have came in and stepped in that role that um, would have got treated any differently in my opinion um, and it, it it's sadly enough to say it took I can't say it took days it took years for me to overcome that and it may have been because it was he was misunderstood and we Any of the three of us, Brad, Brian, or myself, would be an absolute fool to think that his calling to to Jonesboro, where we're at now, is not God's will. I mean, we were having revival like I've never seen before. We had how many get baptized last Sunday? 14 from a different church that said that all sparked from a Bible study that was taught out of our church that said, we've been teaching and preaching wrong. This bishop at the church said, I'm gonna get my congregation and get baptized the way you all do, and we're having revival like that. So we'd be completely, like I said, a fool to think that he doesn't belong where he's at. But it's because I want to read it again. You've got to be willing to be misunderstood. Can you go into depth just a little bit more on that?
0: Yeah. Um, You are going to be Darth Vader to somebody. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And you know what? Even sometimes your church is going to be the Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, exactly, your church is going to be the death star to someone. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and if you feel compelled to to right every wrong and clarify every person, you know, and demand that people understand you, it's going to go the wrong way. Well, let me let me unpack that just for a little bit. Um, was Jesus misunderstood? Wasn't he called Beelzebub? Yes. Wasn't he called the Father? of devils, you know, he really was. And I mean, what is he doing? I mean, let's tally up the score. He's healing people, he's teaching, he's feeding the multitudes, um, he he's the most pure man who ever walked in shoe leather, and yet he's being called the father of devils. This is something that is going to come from an attack of the enemy many times. Hmm. And the enemy's trying to get to you. Uh, he he It's very revealing when we are misunderstood. Uh, because it's hard to bite your lip. Yeah, it's hard to be silent before your accusers. It's difficult, especially when the only feeling you have, the only intention you ever had was noble, and you were just trying to follow the will of God. And now here's somebody that's, you know, maligning you. It it hurts. I'm not going to say I'm impervious to the to those to people who don't believe in me or misunderstand me. It hurts but I feel like I'm in good company when that happens. And so um, you just have to be willing to go on um, and maintain a good spirit and uh, not try to chase all those conversations down and and set everybody straight because uh, it's it's going to backfire.
2: So we're going to be coming to a close pretty soon, but there's a few things that I'd still like to talk about. Brian was just... Uh, told me something he would like to transition to as well. But uh, before we do, I always, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. Is there any men, specific men in your life, that really transformed you into the way that you are today? Or to women. It? Or women, yeah. I'm not going to not gonna be like that. <laughs> uh, any men or women in your life that's really shaped you and formed you to be the, the man and leader that you are today?
1: And I know this isn't deep, and I was jokingly asking uh, Brother Soto who Darth Vader was. Uh, because of the star wars reference there and I, I couldn't help but sit here and think wait a minute tony seriously has never seen star wars I haven't. he I has haven't. never
0: seen not one star wars <laughs> i honor you and salute you <laughs> tony that's a great question i appreciate you asking that question uh, because i love to talk about my mentor uh, if you go in my office mentor
2: should be celebrated i'm a firm believer of that
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in mentoring, and that's a big part of our church, by the way. But,
2: but before you go on to tell that story of, yeah. or tell about the, your mentors, there's a reason I bring that up. There was a picture that circulated on social media about, I don't know, two or three uh, weeks ago, and it really uh, motivated me. It was a picture of an old man. I think I've told this on the podcast before. It was a picture of an old man eating breakfast with his grandson, or a, young, a younger man, a kid, and the kid was sitting there on his phone like this, just scrolling, and little did he know the time that he was getting to spend with his grandfather wouldn't be forever. Right. And he had more time invested in an electronic device in his hand than his father. That's why I choose to start celebrating those who've poured into my life. Who are those men and women for you?
0: Well, the primary mentor in my life is pictures on my desk. <laughs> um, his name was Vernon McGarvey. He has since passed away. He never pastored a big church, but he was big in my life. And uh, when I was preaching, uh, I believe I was uh, 19 years old, I was preaching a small little camp meeting. He was the day speaker, I was the evening speaker. And uh, after the service, we went to the uh, cafeteria and we sat down and we, we started to talk. And I describe it this way. There was a circuit board I didn't know I had in me that turned on when he started talking. And there was something about him, his life, his love, there was a connection I cannot explain. It's almost spiritual and supernatural. And this man, his voice was so important to my life. I remember looking across the table at him as a 19-year-old and knowing I needed his voice in my life and thinking, sir, you don't have a choice. You are gonna be in my life. Mm I didn't care. I was going to I was going to be the biggest pest he ever met in his life. It took him a while to understand how much I valued him. Uh, I would call him, ask him all kinds of questions, but as the years wore on our ministry, our relationship cured and he came to understand how much I truly loved him and valued him and he really found his mentoring voice. He was so humble. He wouldn't assume that he could speak into my life. You know, it was just he was just such an amazing and remarkable man. And uh I called him when I was low, when I needed a word. There were times when uh, I would ask him to pray for me, and uh, he would get lost in the spirit, and I would just have to hang up on him. (laughs)
1: Because, like, I mean, he just he just went right into
0: intercession for me, you know. And so he made such a big difference. And of course, my my beautiful parents are wonderful examples to me today. And um, I, I Are have they still a st- with you? Yes. The, uh, I, I uh, served with my father in a co-pastor situation in Clintonville, Wisconsin. I was with him for eight years. Um, and then now he's been here about the same amount of time at Apostolic Truth Church, where I pastor here. He's a, a full-time, he and my mom uh, are family pastors here. And so we continue to work together. And then uh, our bishop, our former bishop, um, Bishop John Putnam, uh, John Grant, Uh, are all men who have blessed my life, who have spoken into my life. I I have a very high regard for um, Daryl Johns, and uh, uh, I I still love to call him. I would say that today I probably have a stable of mentors. I don't think anybody could replace Vernon McGarvey, but I have a stable of mentors who kind of speak into my life in different ways, and so I'm grateful uh, for them, and uh, mentoring has absolutely transforming. me and let me just throw this out there if i could absolutely um that david when you look at his life he had jesse in his life who saw him anointed but never released him to his anointing uh david had to be you know the lord had to jailbreak him out of the pasture with two bags of groceries in his hands to get to his calling and then you have uh saul who was insecure about david's anointing and wanted David to be like him, wear my armor. Saul didn't realize that David's sling was faster than his sword. Hmm. Then you had Michael in David's life who is critical of David's zeal, critical of his worship. And we have people like this in our world today. Everywhere. Even in ministry who um, sometimes they're, they, they see the anointing but they won't release. They, they, uh, they, they want to mentor you but they want you to be like them. And then uh, there are other people who just have a, simply have a critical spirit of the zeal of a young man. But Jonathan was older than David. And yet the Bible lets us know that he loved David and he resourced David. He would do just about anything for David. And, and that's what I want to be. I want to be a Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was anointed to be king. Mm. Uh, not anointed to be king. He was destined to be king. Destined, yeah. But the anointing went a different way. And he still loved David. You got to love, I mean, how, how remarkable is that? That Jonathan never slew a giant, but he loved the giant slayer. It takes a big man to love a younger man who's going to do greater things than you. And I think we have to have a spirit in this generation of mentoring who would, we would look to the younger generation and say, I'll preach me, I'll sing me, do in a few years what I could never do in a lifetime. I won't put my hands on you. I won't harm you, but I'll guide you. I'll guard you, I'll resource you. We need that spirit in this generation. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. How is it that Demas forsook Paul and his calling? Well, the scripture t- lets us know that Paul calls Timothy a son, he calls Onesimus his son, he calls Marcus his son, but he only called Demas a fellow laborer. Mm. Is it possible that Demas didn't survive because he didn't have a father in the gospel? We don't know the answers to these questions, but we know that mentoring is absolutely critical to this generation. Mm-hmm. We need to find our mentoring voice. And uh, at ATC, we have really strong mentoring programs and we're always developing our younger men and women. We have no shortage of next generation leaders here uh, because we realize they're worth that investment. So yes. we're very intentional about that. Uh,
1: and we, we, we uh, anytime people are involved in anything there's always a possibility it's not a perfect situation. And many times we present uh, transition, developing in young people, this idea that the leader in their life is the leader that's going to develop in them. But the reality is some people find themselves in a situation where that leader is the insecure leader or like all the critical leader, all these different types of leaders that, that you've talked about and i think it's important that the young person in that situation remembers that god is ultimately the one in control and it's god who exalts people and and like you said with david and that's what stood out to me is when you talked about how david was kind of trapped under his father's leadership god had a plan to get him out from underneath that that's right right and just because and, and so david didn't hurt his father and he didn't rebel against his father. God had a way of taking David where he needed him to be, and I think it's so important while we're in that situation, even if it isn't the ideal situation. Which, in reality, there are un- un- not perfect situations out there. God still has a way in time of using someone and bring. Mm-hmm. If God has anointed, and then God has a future, and God has a way of bringing his future to be.
0: Boy, that is so true, and and let's just talk to some young people for a second who might be. I'm listening.
2: so glad you're getting ready to do yes. this. Absolutely.
0: Um, <clears throat> first of all, don't sit back and wait for eight guys to line up to ask to be your mentor. Mm. Uh, you might just have to nose under someone's wing. Sort of. I I sort of just nosed under someone's wing, mm-hmm. and you know, if you ask someone to be their mentor and they take you out for a hamburger, you better have a notebook in your Bible with you and be ready to be a note taker, mm-hmm. you know, and the value and the quality of the, of the conversation is going to be determined by the quality of the question. <coughs> so if you're spending time with somebody that you regard, be ready for, with good questions. Hmm. Don't expect them to just simply sit there and impart to you. Most mentors, a good mentor is a very good listener, and they're trying to find the area where you could grow, and they always value a good question. So get your nose under someone's wing. And by the way, we're commanded as mentors to look for faithful men and women. Yes. So there's a mark of faithfulness that is a qualifier to be mentored.
2: While we've got these young folks' ears perked up right now, I want you to talk something. It instantly grabbed my attention when you were talking about it, um, Michael being critical. Um, So there's a preacher in our church that uh, teaches our Sunday school. um, And he was guest number one on our podcast. And he uses the term a lot that we live in a selfie generation. And the camera's always facing towards us. And it's almost developed into the way our church and our young people worship now um can you talk to the importance or speak to the importance to our young people that may be listening right now of blocking their critical ones out of their life that have no say in their life that is not nothing doing nothing but tearing them down Um, whether it's why are you like that why you do this for um the importance of just shutting that out of your life
0: the people that are bad influence yes 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 well, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. It's that simple. And um, the key to human relationships is this. Who is influencing who? Now, if all of our friends are saved, that's a problem. How are we going to win our world if all of our friends are saved? But if you have a difficult time running your race with certain people in your life, and for whatever reason, they have a tendency to pull you down, or uh, they—they're enemies of your calling, and they're always uh, using their influence on your life the wrong way. Uh, you have to have the courage to back out of that relationship and uh, put put the right kind of boundaries in their life. Uh, it is absolutely a selfie generation. I want to say amen to that. It's the <laughs> cult of self. It's the mm-hmm. it's the Burger King mantra: "Have it your way." And as young men and women. Uh, well, let's remember that there's a season of serving another man's dreams and serving another man's callings and visions. And you remember Joseph. We we love Joseph. He was a great and honorable man, but he had a, a blind spot in his life in the beginning. He only talked about his dreams, and God had to tenderize him and get him talking about the butler's dream the baker's dream and he had to serve Pharaoh's dream and it was until it wasn't until that he could serve the dreams of others that God allowed him to realize his own. And so yes you're called. yes you you know you God's going to use you in a mighty and powerful way but let's not forget that the first season is serving someone else's dreams and until we can do that we can't be trusted with our own.
2: My favorite part about the whole story of David was whenever he was anointed to be king and called to be king, they, they didn't find him inside. He was out working, and as soon as he found out, he didn't just walk in and say, well, I'm gonna put down my tools and pick up my crown. It's a process. Yes. It's a process. Yes,
0: it is a process. Embrace it. If you If you deny the process in your life, you'll become an inferior product. Yes. Process makes a better product. So you said
1: mentors love good questions. What is the best
0: question you've ever been asked as what someone's mentor. <laughs> I think the best question I've ever been asked is, what are the barriers you see in my life that are holding me back? Um, that's,
2: that's a dangerous question. It is. Because the answer may cause you to you really, change.
1: You really put yourself under a microscope. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And here is someone who didn't just want to talk about what they were going to do they wanted to talk about the person they were going to be. Mm. And they wanted to have an honest conversation about what I perceived to be the great barriers of their life. That was a person that spoke to me of being a person who desired um, to pass their life through the furnace of truth, uh, to be confronted, uh, to confront the areas that could pose a risk to their calling in their ministry. And I really valued that question.
2: So with talking about mentorship, Sorry, Brian's just now getting over a sickness. (laughs) Yeah, I had the flu last week. It's all right, man. He's gone. But anyway, uh, we're talking about mentorship. We asked this question to Brother Kenneth Carpenter. uh, No, with Pastor Tony Mancino from Pittsburgh. And I'd like to ask you the same question because we're along the same lines. You've had those men that's poured into your life, and you've had people come and look to you for mentorship. When Aaron Soto has passed from this world into – your great reward. What legacy do you hope that you've left for the generation coming up?
0: Leaders. I want my legacy to be people. I want it to be leaders. Um, um, I'm just so pleased with the men that I'm, I serve with today. And uh, so the men who are in our pastoral team, the, a good portion of them are men that came up through our mentoring program as young men and women. And today they are uh, on our executive team, our departmental team, director team. Um, And I really believe that that is my calling, uh, my purpose, I should say. I distinguish between calling and purpose, but uh, I really feel like my purpose is to uh, develop and equip leaders. And so that's the thing I'm gonna be doing. uh, Pastoring is is a season. Pastoring is not a purpose. Wow. That's something that uh, (laughs) Uh, I've learned and, and, and I've been so blessed to know this um, and I, I learned that at, at the Kingdom Leadership Lab for senior pastors it was a mind-blowing moment for me I began to seek out about my purpose my purpose is to encourage and equip leaders that's gonna be my legacy I believe wow.
1: Um I have followed your your church's podcast uh, quite a bit in, in the past uh, I've told you earlier um, I've, I've kind of gotten out of listening to a lot of. I actually don't even listen to our own podcast, uh, Tony. <laughs> we don't. I, hate, I hate to tell you that, <laughs> but but sometimes I don't even go uh, back because I just don't have the time really to go back and and sometimes re listen. But uh, whenever I was listening pretty heavy, I remember that you guys were having uh, pro life services here at your church. That's right. C- can can you talk to us for a moment about the uh, the importance that you felt as a pastor? of going on the record to be very crystal clear that this was a pro-life church.
2: And we applaud you for that. Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, um, man, it's it's an honor to to serve that priority, and, and we do um, champion pro-life in our city. I'm privileged to serve uh, as an executive board member and spiritual advisor for uh, Vita Health Clinic here, which comes alongside. It's, it is a, a clinic. In every sense of the word, word with uh, nurses and doctors and practitioners. Um, and they're coming alongside mothers in crisis pregnancy. And if they will have the courage to uh, bring that baby into this world, we'll come alongside them for three years with practical helps and resources. So it's very important. Wow. Um, I just want to say that I think there are some cultural messages that are being preached, and they're, they're evangelists who are preaching uh, in this post Christian world who are devaluing life, who are coming against the sanctity of marriage. And I think sometimes we underestimate the power of their voice in this generation. Sometimes pastors wanna stay away from those social topics because they're, you know, there's negative touch points to that. You don't know who you might offend in the crowd. But if we don't start speaking to this, Hollywood is gonna start shaping the minds of our churches and our children our mm-hmm. public schools will do that. Yes. and so um, That's you might,
2: specifically why we started this podcast.
0: That's incredible. Uh, you might remember a series I did called Straight Talk, where mm-hmm. I talked about homosexuality. Uh, I talked about living together. All of these things. We don't think to talk about them, but uh, we They're expect. They're more
2: relevant now than they've ever been.
0: Yes, absolutely. We expect people to come up with Christian values in a post-Christian world. You know they are not going to come to Christian conclusions unless we're speaking to this and teaching this. And I I I just uh, I feel like um, we 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 overestimate what our people know. And and uh, when when you have new attenders coming, um, they may have radically different ideas about what marriage means. You know about what commitment should look like. Um, between a, two people that love each other. And uh, so it's very important, uh, the issue of abortion and all of these, other, uh, s- these biblical issues um, to speak to them. And let me just say this. Our culture is confused, but the Bible's not. The mm-hmm. Bible is not confused. Crystal clear. And when you preach from the word of God with love and compassion, it can be life-changing. So yes, I do preach about life, but I preach it with love. And I remember that there are people in the room when I speak about the sanctity of life who already made the wrong choice. Right. And I wanna show mercy to them and I wanna point them to the cross. And by doing that, I feel like I'm, I'm helping um, someone in the future to make right decisions and choices with their life. And I'm also helping someone else to find purpose in their pain.
2: Speak to somebody who's um, already made the mistake of an abortion, what would you tell that person?
0: Well, I would tell that person that, um, that they are loved by God, and so is their child, and their child is in the arms of God, and they will see that child someday. And um, I want to give them an opportunity to, to declare that they love that child. They may not have considered their child to be a, a human at the time of, of, of uh, that abortion, but now that they understand what that life is, I invite them to declare their love for that child and I also invite them to honor that life by giving them the dignity of a a memorial service. Mm. And uh, so they might've made that decision 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but let's talk about that life. Let's celebrate that life that it was a gift from God and um, let's use that pain to help someone else who might be in a crisis situation. So we're we're in
1: a supercharged uh, politically Divided uh, kind of American culture right now, and, <laughs> yeah. and and these things we're talking about kind of flies in the face of of some political positions. How as a pastor, that d- do you do this to where? Do, you, do what kind of thought do you give to people that have disagreements that are obviously in a growing church? You have people with a variety of opinions on these topics. In a society that is so divisive, especially when you talk about homosexuality, abortion, (laughs) excuse me, these are topics that people really have passionate opinions about. And obviously, you preach it in love, but but what is kind of your heart and your mindset going in, and how much thought do you think of that you know there's going to be a whatever percent of your congregation that the whole time is saying that 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 what pastor is preaching is so against everything that I believe about whatever that topic is. And yeah. How could Jesus think that about an individual because of that sin, they're born that way, or you know things like that. How, is it, how does that weigh on you as a pastor when you're in that pulpit and going to that pulpit?
0: I do feel the weight, uh, knowing that there are gonna be people um, that are hearing this for the very first time who may feel very different. I also feel that it's the power of the word of God to change them. And so um, it, it, it cannot just be simply apologetics. We need the spirit to move and operate. Yes. And so I pray for a spirit of revelation to come and to change hearts and minds. And
2: thank God for the boldness that you do that. Because a lot of men won't, wouldn't go to the, to the pulpit and face that heaviness and be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm folding to that pressure. Thank God for the men who do. Absolutely. Yes,
0: sir. And, you know, I've been looking for an opportunity to share this testimony, and I want to share it with you. Awesome. That... Um, we have people who came into this church same-sex couples and god has delivered them and set them free Uh, we have more than one we have people who have come into this church living in in a homosexual lifestyle and not knowing anything other than what culture has told them that it's perfectly acceptable and um, they have every right to, to love whomever they want to love any way they want to love them and they have submitted themselves to the power of God's word and his spirit, and their lives have been changed and transformed. They're sitting in our pews right now, transformed, delivered, and set free. Thank God. I want to say that we've loved these people right where they are. We loved Robin, who is a man who came into our church dressed as a woman.
1: Hmm.
0: Loved Robin. And um, God started dealing with Robin's heart. We could see God dealing with Robin's heart. We didn't pull Robin into a corner and say, look, you're gonna to have to change, you're gonna to have to start dressing differently if you're gonna to come to this church. We believed in the power of the Spirit to transform a life. Robin's been in our church for over four years. Robin is a new man in Christ Jesus, in fact, after we baptized rob and he came out of the water and told me for the first time in my life i feel like a new man in christ jesus wow. he's a man who celebrates who he is in jesus christ wow. and and we oh, have over we there. have <laughs> testimonies of people being delivered from homosexuality i just want to say that i want to say that i think that our churches need to start believing for God to save to the uttermost, I think we categorize who God loves and who God can deliver and set free. Yes,
1: yeah, they're not a hopeless demographic.
0: Absolutely not. And the more that uh, our world evangelizes, and the more our world has to say about homosexual lifestyle and practices, the more we're going to see even uh, people in our own churches starting to begin to to struggle with that spirit, yes. and so. Uh, it is so empowering for people in our own churches who might be struggling with that spirit to see that deliverance happen right, bef- right in yes. front of their eyes. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely a transformational thing. You
2: know, that, I think Anthony Mangan said it the absolute best. You have to love the sinner and hate the sin. And, Brian, you said it perfectly that it's not a hopeless demographic, no matter how our churches view it, because I know that there's churches all over the United States. They walk in the back door... We've got to we got we got to change something here. We've got to change the um, process of letting people come into our church. But thank God for the boldness of men. I'm not here to say, brother Soto, you're doing everything perfectly correct. But thank God that you are not making them hopeless in this community. Amen. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut and, you off and, again. But... And, and,
1: and you know, because like I'm sitting here thinking, what do I do whenever I'm in the position of leadership and the person walks in our church that's dressed? as a sex that they are not because and, and you know i have certain opinions about the, this discussion and and it's kind of making me question myself what kind of boldness do i have of do i trust in the word of god enough that i don't have to confront in some some way where it's just well this is what i should think but this is what the word of god says and, and can i take someone down that journey of of here's what the power of the word of God says, the truth of what God has revealed and how it affects you directly. And and not even, you know, the que- another question I guess is in my mind and what I'm feeling is do you even start there? Where do you even start with the person? Do you do you find a hurt that's in them before you worry obviously about their outside? How does that approach even work? Um what kind of how do you approach them in a one-on-one kind of a situation things like that and, and that's that's a quite some questions that churches have to struggle with and consider in
0: 2020 you know um what we have found is that if someone is seeking God they will find him and we really trust the power of the divine draw of the spirit and so what we do is we just simply we don't have deep conversations with these people in the outset, we just let them drink deeply from the well of life, connect deeply with the Holy Spirit, and then the Spirit starts to work in their life. They start to feel direction, and then they start asking questions, and they say, I'm feeling something from God about this. I'm feeling differently about yeah. something in my life. Um, I don't know that I've ever gone all the way back to ask somebody what was the cause of this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, desire in you because it's almost after the fact, you it's know? Irrelevant. yeah, it's irrelevant at that point. I'm happy to tell you that would it be this week or last week, um, we had a, a same sex couple come into our church, um, some time ago and the Lord began to deal with their heart and, um, they were both filled with the Holy spirit and baptized in Jesus name. One of them didn't really survive the journey, the other one did, and is still a part of our church. And just, it was this week or last week, um, they finished our discipleship journey and they're being onboarded to ministry. Um, after having lived for the Lord for a, a long time, they've gone all the way through our discipleship classes, living a life, an overcoming life. And now they're, they're, they're wanting to talk about what is the, their ministry and, and uh, how they're gonna serve God. It's just unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Well, I think the the first biggest thing that we as a body of Christ have to understand is that their conception of us is because we're Christian, we automatically hate them because we don't believe in what they're living or we don't believe their lifestyle. So automatically it's, you don't agree with me, so obviously you don't like me because that's, that's the, the, the world we live in now. And I think that the biggest thing that, our church and I, it's hard for me to say this because I'm not a pastor but I think one of the heart or the one of the things that we must do as a body of Christ is love them not necessarily accept what they're doing but love them and show them love through Jesus Christ. That's right. And um I think that the spirit will speak to them and start dealing with them because they realize, hey, this is a place that accepts me. And then whenever they're starting to get involved in the church and getting drinking from that deep well, stuff does start to move. I've been in services where I didn't think it was for me. And then, oh, my word, when did he start preaching to me? You know, I think that's something that our church needs to understand, not just with this lifestyles, you know, that we're talking about. But and the whole aspect of guests themselves is they're coming for love. Yeah, they're looking for something. Can we give it to them?
0: Right. Uh, let's be confident in God's ability to save.
2: And that's a hard thing to do sometimes Yeah, because we want it to be man-made.
0: Sometimes we just want to, we're appalled at sin. And I get it. You know, we're we're appalled at certain de- decisions that people make. But that person happens to be the person that Jesus loves and completely.
2: Anyway. And here, <laughs> is your sin any less than theirs or any more than theirs?
0: You know, I, I believe that there are Um, different levels of sin we sin against our body um and and there are different levels of sin in in life but god forgives it all the same amen it's not any more difficult for him to forgive and uh i just wanted to share that with you because i want people to start to have faith in this area this is a growing demographic in our country and um I believe this is uh, a, we're going to start seeing more miracles um, in this area, and I, I want us to have faith for this.
1: Absolutely, and we certainly have to celebrate those testimonies. Absolutely, we certainly have to. Absolutely, it has been such an honor, uh, Pastor Soto, getting to to sit here and, and talk with you. Uh, would like to ask you: Do you have any books uh, that you would recommend to our listeners uh, that necess- don't necessarily have to be on the topics we've discussed? but just formative books that have shaped you as a leader? Wow.
0: Well, well, there are um, some books that I would say more recently that have been good for me. I, I'm kind of, I'm sorry, but I'm sort of a leadership guy. Absolutely. And so some of those books really speak to sure, me. Sure, bring it on. But, um, you know, I love Axiom uh, by Hybels, and I know that uh, he's had his issues, but his book really helped me. On a a leadership level, um, has been good for me. Uh, The Advantage by Linseyoni is another uh, powerful read that I think you would really appreciate. Um, And uh, you know, going all the way back to uh, you know, I, I know that it's it's almost cliche now, but I think that there are some really good books by Maxwell. He's written a series of leadership books, and and there are some very foundational things there. That have helped me along the way, and you're asking me books that have helped to shape me. You yes. know, developing the leader within you. I mean, all the way back in the before mm-hmm. the Dead Sea was even sick. You know, <laughs> I was I was reading that book, but more than that, you know, um, the book First Timothy uh, in chapter four um, that talks about let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. And Paul unpacks how to be an example through verses twelve through sixteen has absolutely revolutionized my life. Um, The Sermon on the Mount, um, I think it's an incredible um, discourse. And so Matthew's book has shaped me tremendously about how to uh, next level my Christian life, a a new normal has brought a new normal to me. And I've also come to understand that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a leadership book and it has changed my life. And so uh, I just don't ever want to under deliver uh, and and, and, and I, I want you to know that the word of the Lord is so awesome and it's unsearchable. The facets are just inexhaustible. And so uh, if anyone has a desire to grow as a leader or in, as a person, the word of God is, is the number one book for me.
2: Absolutely. The last way we end our podcast is with this segment. Um, we want you to take the next couple of minutes, two, three minutes and release what God's been dealing with you on. Uh, something that he's burdened your heart, something you may be preaching, something you may be studying. Um, the floor is yours for the next couple of minutes. Anything we may have missed, anything.
1: Or if you feel led to give a message of hope to someone.
2: Absolutely. The next couple of minutes is yours. I know that's kind of putting you on the spot, but.
1: Well,
0: that's okay. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And let me just say uh to you tony and brian how much i've enjoyed this time with you and i'm so grateful for what you're doing thank you. i honor you and i salute your your vision and your work wow thank you and um, hey you know what you may be misunderstood too uh, before it's all over with uh, there may be a level of success you didn't plan for and sometimes people are a little bit critical uh, so i just want to tell you uh, be prepared to live uh, being misunderstood at times and I just pray God's blessing upon you. Thank and thank you. you for asking some good questions. I just love the whole concept of um, getting to know someone beyond the pulpit and yeah. just just having a talk around a table well, we, because we don't do that anymore yeah, we, in this we, culture.
2: We can't explain to you how much of an honor it is to sit here with you. I will say one thing. Uh, our flight did land a little early. And I said, guys, I'm gonna be upset as an NFL fan if we don't go see Lambeau Field. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it irks me to say this because I'm a diehard Bears fan, but y'all have a great stadium up
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. It really is an incredible You don't have to stadium. agree, but anyway. I'm, the hey, I'm yours. glad you saw that. I'm glad you saw it. Well, let me just say this. Um, the worst thing that's happened in your life, God can repurpose it. He has the genius to repurpose it for good. And uh, I'm just going to speak to the audience, and and I don't have to be spirit-led to say that there's pain in our life. People that that are listening to this podcast today, there's some chapter, some episode where you wish you could get a redo, some moment where someone stepped in and snatched something precious from you, whether it was your purity through manipulation, or maybe they just simply took advantage of you. Uh, Maybe there's a chapter of addiction in your life. Uh, maybe you're sitting driving a car and looking back and realize that uh, you didn't have the critical moments that you needed to have in conversations with your children. And so now uh, you're, you're, you're seeing the repercussions of, of that. Whatever it is, whatever, wherever that pain is coming from, the word of the Lord lets us know that God has the genius to use all of those painful episodes and to redeem that pain for Amen. good. That pain in your life serves a purpose. And I just want to be a testimony to you that I've had pain in my life. I've made mistakes in my life. And God has redeemed my pain. In Romans chapter uh, 8 and verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And there have been times... When I've had to go back to the Lord with a certain episode of my life and say, Lord, you said all things, this thing. And you know what? I always get the confirmation from the spirit that the Lord says, yes, even this thing, I will use it for good. You're like a key that's uh, at the hardware store. Have you ever seen those new keys that are at the hardware store? And they're sitting behind the counter and they're shiny and perfect. In order for them to be useful, they have to get cut and nicked. Those cuts and those nicks are the the work that allows them to unlock something. And the cuts and the nicks in your life are the very thing that are going to unlock your future. Don't run from your story. Don't run from your pain. Give it to the Lord. Embrace it. And I know God's going to use it for his glory.
2: You were just talking about keys. One of my favorite sermons I ever heard was at Arkansas Men's Conference, Brother Todd Johnson. The most expensive key you can buy says three little words on top of it, do not duplicate. And it's those keys that have been cut specifically for a special purpose that have... um, There's not very many of them out there. They go to special people. And I want to let our listeners know tonight that you are a do not duplicate. You are created for a specific reason. Amen. That God has placed certain obstacles and things in your life for a specific reason. Pastor Soto, what I take away from this is don't give up. Keep going. God's blessing. Guys, you've been listening to The Crucial Conversation. Break it
0: down <laughs>